0: Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at Reconditioning HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Duncan French. Duncan is currently the Vice President of Performance at the USC Performance Institute in Las Vegas, Nevada, where he's responsible for directing sports-specific technical interfaces that maximize the impact of performance services on USC rostered athletes. Prior to joining the UFC, Duncan was the Director of Performance Science for the University of Notre Dame Athletics Department. And before residing in the U.S., Duncan was a technical lead for strength conditioning at the English Institute of Sport. He has over 20 years of experience working with elite professional Olympic athletes and has worked three full Olympic cycles, inclusive of roles with Great Britain Basketball and Great Britain Taekwondo. As a strength conditioning coach, French has coached and hosted a host of Olympic World Championship and Commonwealth Games medalists, as well as a world record holders from various different sports. Duncan also serves as the head of strength conditioning at Newcastle United Football Club and the English Premier League. He has authored or co authored over 65 peer reviewed scientific manuscripts and nine book chapters. But beyond all his accomplishments, he is a father to his young son, Alfie, and his husband, Katie. I am honored, husband to Katie, I am honored to have him on the show today. Welcome, Duncan.
1: Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Appreciate it. How are you doing?
0: I kind of butchered that uh, intro, but that's okay. We'll live with it's that. That's all right. All right. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so good. Always this litany of stuff that people. Said. When you uh, and you have a, a wonderful resume, obviously, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because uh, of the human side of of you. I got lucky enough to meet you a few weeks ago uh in whistler bc and was taken by uh, your character and approach to the things that you do and I, i'm really curious where that all came from to start who was your childhood sports hero
1: wow childhood sports hero um i mean i was i was always a fan of uh Daly thompson who's uh, you know great british decathlete olympic gold medalist and um he was, uh, you know, obviously a, a great all-around athlete and a great character and personality. When I was growing up, you know, the British track and field team had some some real superstars like Brian Whittle and Chris Akabusi, and um, you know these people who were really personable. Um, but Daily Daily Thompson was kind of the one that really stood out—a big big joker, big character. Um, so he he was always, you know, up, up there with with people I aspired to, and then um, you know being. Being a northerner in New, from Newcastle, I, uh, I I always supported Newcastle United, and uh, you know Alan Shearer was the number nine for for Newcastle United, so the striker, and obviously that's kind of the the, the blue ribbon position for for the for the football club. So um, yeah, he was uh, you know just a, a gritty guy, you know, kind of blue chip, blue collar, did all the hard yards, but was um, you know was obviously the national team number nine as well. So yeah, they, they were definitely people I aspired to
0: tell me about growing up in newcastle what was that uh, what life
1: like so to speak as you grew up Yeah, well, actually actually I'm, I'm from um i'm from a little town called Nesborough, which is about an hour south of newcastle uh it's a newcastle for university um so i'm from kind of north yorkshire area but um, yeah it's a it's a northern town and um you know good people um and and you know, my, my family were, were great you know obviously very supportive i i did everything as a kid like most kids do you know you, you try and find your niche and what you're good at and um, you know, I, uh, I, I I played soccer, did judo, um, you know, basketball. Didn't grow tall enough to to be a basketball player, but uh, you know, you, you do everything, rugby, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and um, yeah, it's uh, it was a uh, you know, my, my parents took me to every away game, every practice. You know, running around as you do. So um, yeah, it was it was a really positive environment to be around.
0: What's your fondest early success in sports for yourself? What, what do you, what's a memory that you remember a championship or something you won or something you did that you really felt
1: good about? yeah um I mean I was the county triple jump champion when I was 16 years old it was quite a funny story actually because um, I was with with my high school and um, we were going to you know the county athletics meet track and field and I, I was always a sprinter you know I was I was a hundred meter sprinter 200 meter sprinter I was pretty rapid for a little guy um, and we needed someone to, to do the triple jump and that you know on the day I basically stepped up and said all right I'll have a go at that and um and and went on to one the damn thing which was which which was really surprising at the time but I was like shit actually I've got some uh, got some hops so um yeah no it was a hot step and a jump as you would say um, so it was uh, it was really refreshing and you know that that kind of um The impromptu success, you know, being back on the on the team bus, going back home to the high school and uh, was was a superb feeling. I'll never forget that.
0: (laughs) When you when you sat in your backyard and looked up at the stars when you were a kid, what did you dream of doing or being?
1: Shit, I mean, I, I so actually, I was I was a pretty let's say energetic young kid, you know. So um, <laughs> I think every every month, my dad was at high school, to speaking to the principal, you know, something that I was getting into trouble for. Not not you know not really negative things, but just high energy, doing stupid stuff, you know. And uh, my dad was on the you know the 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 parent teachers association. He was always getting dragged in, and um, what happened was, they ended up channeling you know trying to, trying to figure out a way to channel my energy let's say so they pushed me into uh, a saturday morning drama group um uh-huh. and actually i became a, a really successful kind of child character actor um won a lot of you know solo acting to competitions and things like that and um, you mm-hmm. know it, it it actually worked pretty well like in my uh, it, it kind of turned my grades around at school and i had a kind of a focus um and and, and coming back to your question I guess that's kind of what, what I dreamed about when I was a kid was just having, you know, I, I was a show off, right? I'll, I'll say it flat. I, mean, I was a, <laughs> a show off, right? So, so whether it was on the stage and, you know, I loved the thrill of the performance, you know, I loved the thrill of the performance on the football field. I love the thrill of the performance in track and field, whatever it was, I, 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 w- I wanted that fix, you know, um, yeah. like, like most people do. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's reward, right? You know, it's, it's a social reward. And um, you know, that's, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a child actor. I did a lot of TV and radio shows as a child. And um, you know, I got to a point around 16, 17 years old where I, I, I kind of turned off from it. Um, I went backstage and started doing set design and things because it was still about the, the performance, right? Everyone was working to the performance. Um, and then I think I really blended that over the years. I used those skills as, a, as an actor, my, my confidence to speak in front of people, my ability to play a role or play a character. I think, you know, I look back and that's, that's truly influenced my coaching. Um, yeah. As I moved into being a, you know, playing more sport through my teens and early 20s and 30s, I actually played American football for the GB national team for 14, 15 years. Um, so I had success. Um, and then obviously I moved into a coaching role and I always look back to, you know, as you say, sitting in the backyard and the back garden trying to figure out what, what it is I wanted to do. And, um, it's, it's been a combination of things. You know, it's been mm-hmm. a, an, an amalgamation of different situations and scenarios and experiences that led me to coaching and the comfort with coaching. Um, you know, my love for sport, my pursuit of the gold medal or the championship is still there because we're still working towards the same thing. Um but the, the skill of, of being an actor and, and, and having, you know, just the ability to, to hold an audience, let's say is, is, is truly, uh, shown profitable to me.
0: That's cool. I'm going to spin back into that a little bit later in our conversation. Yeah. Tell me about how you discovered, um, what you do now, like what was this discovery process, uh, of learning that you could be a strength conditioning coach and then onwards to what you do now professionally.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was always a smaller kid, you know, um, I wasn't, you know, the big physical soccer player. Um, I was the, I was a right winger. I was fast and speedy, I you know, play striker or right wing. And, um, you know, I'd definitely had physical attributes around speed, um, not necessarily the technical skills that some of the other boys had. Um, but as I grew, um, and, and got into other sports like American football and collision sports like rugby, um, realized that I, I needed to do something to try and compete, you know, and that's where I got into looking at how you can influence your body and um, change your body using different training methods. And that's where kind of my love and my interest in human physiology um, really kind of stemmed from, um, was trying to keep up with with the bigger kids, you know, um, and went certainly to university, you know, when I was, when I was playing there, um, looking for a way to, to use training, um, to, to influence myself and, and, and be physically um, competitive so that, that's where I kind of found training um, and, and as I say I I enjoy being a teacher you know I enjoy working with other people and figuring out performance problems and, 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 and connecting on a personal level you know I, I like uh, you know I was a high school teacher for a year after graduating from my, my degree um, and I loved it you know just being able to shape and influence people is, is very rewarding again.
0: How did it flip into a vocation for you? Did you start volunteering for uh, organizations? Did it happen while you were at university? Did it happen when you were teaching? What, what was the process there?
1: I, um, I, I did my degree and then I did a teacher, teaching degree for a year. Um, and then I did a master's degree. And at that point, I went into ha- uh, being a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, for a year in a, in a real kind of rural country um, high school in the UK. Actually, fun fact, the school that I worked at has got the biggest catchment area in the whole of the United Kingdom. Um, it, it goes all the way up to the borders of Scotland, all the way down to um, Durham City, across to the West Coast, and over to the East Coast in kind of the narrow part of Northern England. So it was a huge catchment area, and we had kids from all over. So it was a real interesting dichotomy of personalities and characters. Um, we, you know, we'd shoo the cows off the rugby field in the morning as we're going out to, to do rugby practice. Um, but there was always something more that I wanted, you know. I enjoyed teaching, but for me, it was the drive to, again, coming back to the performance and being very competitive myself, um, which I think, you know, my dad instilled in me, is, is you know, to, to be successful. Not not at the expense of character or anything, but just to to obviously do your best and to try and be successful. That's what I strived for. My My kind of sports career was... Coming to an end, let's say, as a truly high-level competitive um, sports, you know, sports athlete. Um, so I wanted to still pursue that, and that's where I kind of started reaching out to colleges in in, in North America. Um, a lot of people do a gap year after university and go traveling. I ultimately used education as a way to to do my traveling. So I went and did my PhD in North America and and had a great time. And that's where I really started to see, you know, the influence of high level sport and how, you know, big time athletics um, can be truly rewarding and and kind of the the lifestyle it can afford you. So, um, Mm. yeah, that's where it really started to shape my interest of of being a strength coach.
0: I'm curious because uh, in some ways I I see not a mirror, but an interesting thing between you and I that we both work in the highest level sports in professional sports in our countries, yours being professional football and mine being professional hockey and you worked for your hometown, so to speak team. One, how did that happen? And then two, tell me about the, the experience, what, what it lived up to and what it didn't live up to for you and why you moved on from it in some sense. Because it's always sort of like there's a dream there. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I want to work there, <laughs> and then they, what's what's the ex, expect? How does the expectation meet the actual dreams?
1: Yeah, no, you're great. They always say never meet your your, your you know your, your your heroes, right? Um, no, I mean it. What what I've always tried to do, um, as I've been growing up, is be very proactive to try and have as many strings to my bow as possible. Um, I was never the Olympic weightlifting guy. I was never the kettlebell guy. I was never the gymnastics guy. I, I was just a guy that wanted to try and get as many different skills as possible. And that, that's, that stretched everything from like basic science and pursuing a PhD, which is not, not necessary to be a high-level strength and conditioning coach, but it's definitely afforded me some, you know, some jumps along the way. Um, from basic science through to truly applied coaching and everything in between, and I think that's that's held me in great stead as I've applied for positions or people have come to try and recruit me so um, I think that's what attracted, um, you know, Newcastle United to come and, and gain interest in me. I, I was actually a full-time lecturer um, at Northumbria University in Newcastle at the time, um, and my background in the US and working with big collegiate programs attracted them, and I actually started going in two or three days a week um, to support them with some of their strength and conditioning strategies. Uh, and then after one year doing that, they they offered me the full-time role. So it was. It was, um, you know, I, I believe in good fortune and being in the right place at the right time to an extent, but you shape your fortune. You know, you, you truly create opportunities, whether you are conscious of them or subconscious. Um, and, and, and being in the right place at the right time is a reflection of something's put you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, being in Newcastle, working at the university, them seeing me down the road and saying, hey, we can use that skill set. Was mm-hmm. uh, was ultimately what brought me there. I think you made a great point about you know this. I've always supported Newcastle United, and now I'm going to be working with the team, which is my my boyhood team. You know, um, it's a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. You know, you you you're chasing, you're chasing this you know this pathway to to enlightenment, and um, you know you get to the great city of the Premier League, and you pull the curtain back, and it's actually a little guy with a loud hailer, you know, and it's it's it's, it's the re- the reality of it dawns on you, you know, like. Oh shit! Okay, this is what I've been pursuing, and I'm not saying that in a negative way, but it, it's the reality of you know. Actually, it's still pretty granular at the most mm-hmm. top level of high performance sport. It's it's very granular and can be very basic. Um, it was enlightening to me um, mm-hmm. at that moment in time. Like, okay, um, it, you know, we're not driving around it. Well, I'm not driving around a Ferrari, and I'm not kind of you know out nightclubs every single night. I've got to do the hard yards. Um, <laughs> so it was it was actually a really great learning experience um now ultimately why i moved on I, I had a great experience there i did four seasons and in my last season we finished fifth in the premier league which for the team at the time was was an amazing achievement um a few of my values were kind of challenged a little bit in terms of what i truly believed in or what i uh, you know what what resonates with me and um, with my athlete coach relationships um you know there's the you know, as with any major league, there's there's a financial influence on personality and character. Uh, there's a lifestyle balance um, of of being you know in a nine month season and what that does for family ties and strains. And you know it's just at that moment in time, I'd, I'd, I'd tick the box. Um, I'd met the Wizard of Oz, and um, it was it was kind of time to move on and get back to something which actually you know I, I had more passion for.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you, you mentioned before going on doing your PhD and saying that the, the, you know, not, you don't have to do that to be a strength and conditioning coach. I think the, the drive these days is master's PhD and a lot of people are doing it. And I'm curious, um, as somebody who has done, done that pathway, um, what, what should the person who wants, or is considering or thinking about doing that, Um, really contemplate within themselves as the true purpose of it from your perspective.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you've got to, you've got to make a conscious decision about the investment of your time and your effort and the energy, you know, Um, as I've, as I've already contested to, you don't need to be a doctor with a PhD to be a world-class strength and conditioning coach. Um, at, At the time or, not necessarily at the time, but it's about differentiating yourself, right? That ultimately that's what it comes down to. How how can you um, differentiate yourself from the competition to put you in a prime position to have the, the role? um but ultimately how how do you um use those skills to influence your work on a day-to-day basis as well and that's that's one of the reasons why i pursued my phd yes i wanted a lifestyle a, a, a life opportunity i wanted to go traveling um but i wasn't going to go to you know bali and live there for seven months and much as i'd love to and just kind of wasting my life away my, my, my dad and my mum had kind of instilled you know do something productive so go and travel but get benefit doing it you know while you're traveling so um that's how that came about mm-hmm. so i think it's always coming down to differentiation for me it's like how how can you separate yourself from the crowds how can you create a bigger you know arsenal of weapons that people can use or, or have interest in when they're going through a recruitment process so mm-hmm. phds are not easy you know they they, they uh they're a marathon. They're not a sprint and a part-time PhD. If you're doing that alongside full-time work as well is even, even more of a slog. So you've got to be ready for that investment um, and sacrifice. I mean, I remember being three years into my PhD and, um, speaking i was in the states and speaking to guys back home in the uk and they were buying houses and cars and they had full-time jobs and i was a student on a stipend and i'm 29 years old and i'm thinking shit what, what am i doing here you know but you, you keep the faith um, and you hope that that reward will eventually come back to you which it has done you know in in, in multiples um but you've got to i would say you have got to know what you're getting yourself into and you've got to be truly committed to the process as as Benet brown would say you've got to embrace the suck you know because it it, it sucks all right it's uh mm-hmm. it's a long process and you've got to you know you've got to um, appreciate that process
0: that's uh, i'd like to play off that a little bit for a moment the the process and the concept of the suck and what it takes to really achieve the things that you want to achieve. And I think when you look at every high performer, so we work with high performing athletes, um, they have to embrace a a process. And I think the most interesting external perspective is, is everybody always sees the tip of the iceberg. They never see what's underneath that iceberg. And it's that sense of what you have to invest in order to become who you become and what you do, that's huge. I'm just curious about your what you've taken out of your career and what you've invested in that suck and how you bring that to delivering when you have a, an athlete who has to invest themselves in that suck to get where they want to get to.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, first of all, I'll give you kind of an insight to me and my psyche, my personality is, yeah, I, I'm not the most gifted, intelligent person. I'm not, you know, but I'll I, I will I'm all my level of martyrdom is probably higher than most, <laughs> you know? Um in as much as I I just get it done. I will sit for hours and hours and hours. And and you know, it's not the brightest way of working, but over the years I've invested a shit ton of time to just get the job done and you know you could say outwork people whatever but I I did what was necessary now we'll do that today and I think that's my engagement in the suck is I actually I I put myself through the ringer a little bit on some big projects and big tasks at the expense of people around me and it's Mm -hmm. it's it's sad and it you know I've had you know failed relationships and things in the past because of that i've i've had you know mental health issues i'm not scared to admit it you know for a period of time you know I i was really struggling and it was just overwhelming um but i found balance again um but i think in our world where you're surrounded by type a people um alpha males alpha females it's everything's competitive um it's, it's hard to be fragile, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I demonstrate that by just my martyrdom and engagement in the process, you know? Mm-hmm. I, think I'm, I think I'm quite good at that. <laughs> I, now, I'm quite good at the martyrdom piece. I don't know if I'm quite good at balancing life and work, you know? Um, but I think, you know, there the then becomes a, not an expectation, but a, an awareness of, are your athletes engaged to the level that I am? Are the people around me on my staff teams uh, and, and support teams engaged as much as I am? Um, and it's a real emotional roller coaster because, again, it's hard if you think you're fully invested more than the person to your left or right. It can create challenging, you know, a challenging balance of of effort and energy. Mm. Um, but I think that's what I've tried to do. Is, is I've I'm just good at, at getting in the in the weeds and just you know just hashing it out.
0: I want to play with that for a second and I don't know where you'll go with it because um, it's a it's a unique character trait of our business and coaches is in general is is martyrdom sort of uh, self abuse to to reach the goal, so to speak. I think we all go through these different things. Um, One do you truly believe that it's absolutely necessary? And number two, if if you do, how did you come upon, or how do we come upon this po- this point or moment of of self care where we actually recognize that maybe it is too much, um, and and do 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 good for ourselves as well?
1: Uh, yeah, I I mean. Um, I've got to be not, I'm not going to tread carefully, but you know, this is such a a personal perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's necessary to be polarized in one level, one side of the bell curve, you know, Mm -hmm. I think you, if you're going to achieve great things, the saying goes, you have to do things that other people are not prepared to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you look at world-class athletes that they're doing things that not everybody else can do. And and it sucks sometimes, you know, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a balance, not necessarily pros and cons, but it's a balance between how much you invest in, you know, moving the bell curve, moving your, your position on the bell curve. So, Mm -hmm. I think I've been successful because of my mindset and my approach to this whole process. Now it has t- it has had um, an influence, like I say, on relationships and family and lifestyle and um, opportunity and vacations and all those types of things. Mm-hmm. But would I change it for where I'm at now? Hell no. Mm-hmm. Now, now the caveat to that is. Yeah, I could probably do it better. You know, I, I could probably have a better with life balance. And I think self-care is is very much a 21st century um, thing, which we, we're becoming more aware of mindfulness and the regenerative requirements that go into optimizing your performance. But I'll always hang my hat on the fact that you've got to go to some dark places, you've got to do some things, even as even as a coach, not necessarily as an athlete, but as a coach. you've you've just got to be engaged in the process and i think in in the in sport on the most elite level the the requirements and demands that that places on you means that you've you've got to embrace embrace that that challenge a little bit Mm -hmm. um so yes i'm not suggesting we have to run 60 hour weeks three you know 365 but um that there there is i believe that Special people or not special people i'm not special, but you've got to do some pretty different things to to succeed beyond the, the normal population
0: wonderful and i I want to play off that to sort of when we look at performance the performance industry and so and the science that comes into it and the art that comes into it and obviously the science over time has been driving us to look at things like recovery and and how we manage ourselves and load and all these different things. Whereas, you know, prior to say this last 30 years of integration of science, You know it was coach intuition decided how much we would load why and you know there was always this mental thing that we had to push beyond and go beyond and so there still is this yin yang between what the coaches believe we need to do the sometimes the athlete believes we need to do what we as sports scientists are trying to effectively drive in terms of the 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 yin or the yang the balance of that um, so with what you just said in, in consideration, when we start dealing with this true performance environment, how do we, how do we effectively know we're, we're, we're leaning on too much and we're leaning on too little, we're, we're not going, we're not overreaching enough or we're not overreaching, you know, yeah as much as we should.
1: Yeah, uh, find a good partner to tell you when you've been a dick. Uh, no, I mean it's I, I, I. my wife's amazing. She she says two times every year. I know that you're going to be in a hole. She says I know you're just going to wind yourself up, and it's going to become overbearing, and um, you kind of need to do that reset. You know. Um, now I think as a scientist, I always say if you're not if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Do you know what I mean, and I can be meticulous with my athletes and my understanding of a and other. I don't do that with myself. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I hold my hands up. I, I if I if I was as good a coach for myself as I hopefully am for my athletes, I, I would be. You know, I would be unbeatable. You know, but. Um, comes back to that martyrdom right it's um it's just uh, whether it's a laziness or whether it's just uh, an engagement in the process I don't have the same level because I give myself to others I don't give myself to myself right trying to find the balance to to get that reset and that self-check is can be really hard and I think Mm -hmm. that's where your support network and the people around you um, you have to listen to them it can be you know, my colleagues and, and they they know when I'm having a bad day or if I'm in a funk, you know. Um, and I have to listen to them. Um, but I'm getting better and I think that's an experience thing, you know, just understanding, you know, what what are we trying to do here? You know, what, what are we really trying to do? We're not curing cancer, um, and God bless those people that are, you know, we're we're trying to win medals and trophies. And the the bigger picture kind of the penny can drop. Um you know, that's not to say I'm, I'm dumbing down what that means because there's, there's at the elite level, there's, there's a lot of investment and financial piece against it. Mm -hmm. Um, well, it's perspective, right? I think as you mature and you become older, you just gain a better perspective. And um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm never going to stop cranking. You know, that, that's just my the way I'm wired. I, I, I put that down to, you know, my, my PhD supervisor, William Kramer. It's just the way we all operated in his research group. You know, we, we would crank and we would get stuff done. And that has stuck with me throughout my career. You know, so I, I look to others to try and help me, um, uh but i 'm getting way better at just trying to you know find balance find things to distract me and you know whether it 's in the yard or mowing the lawn or just you know work hanging out with Alfie or whatever you know just just being able to breathe and just take a, a moment is is very important what have you
0: learned about um, the human human nature and human spirit in becoming going from somebody who was kind of you know, teaching to sort of delivering a service within a team to now managing and running a team of people. What, what have you learned about the, about the human spirit
1: and about, about character and values and things like that? Um, well, if you want to change behaviors, you have to change emotions. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you have to, it has to be an emotional connection um, with people. And I think that's what I try to do, and invest my time with my team now as a, as a manager and a director. Um, is is people have to be engaged in the process. Um, people have to be emotionally connected to the process. And I think if you can connect with their emotions, then you can make great things happen you know they 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 are fully in into it let's say you know so i try to i'm I'm not a a manager that that dictates and orders i i I try and hire good people and get out of the way and let them do great things but i i see my role as a manager and a director is to put my staff in the best positions for them to optimize their skills you know Mm. so to do that they've got to believe in me um, as much as I believe in them. So I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much around character first and technical second. I build characters. I build relationships. I try to be a good person and connect with people on a human level. Mm. You know, we're great friends out of work as well as day to day in the work. Um, and I think, you know, that, that can make really powerful things happen. If people are invested emotionally and believe in, in a greater mission, it, it, can, it can really prove, uh, prove really successful
0: very cool um, I'm interested in your your view on um, and your experience with individual athletes and team athletes and the difference in character and and what they bring to the table so you worked obviously for Newcastle in a very team oriented situation and and your role with British uh, athletics is is uh, the British sport is similar with teams, and now you work with very independent singular athletes. What? And I asked the same question to James Morton, who you know used, used, yeah. works a lot with boxers and then also works within teams too. Yeah. So yeah. What What do you see them as different? What do you th- see them as the same in some sense?
1: Yeah, it's it, well. Most teams carry an identity. Well, the first thing I would say, and you can you you know, you can resonate with this i'm sure is every sport has got a character you know so when i worked with gb basketball it was a very different character to newcastle united it's a very different character to gb taekwondo you know every every sport carries its own culture and character but teams usually have a a a large kind of um identity and a character and then spin off individuals within the team Hmm. i think what what I, i i i um I love working with teams. I think as a strength coach, you know the energy that you can create with teams um, in the training environment is obviously um, something you can lean upon. You can create great synergy between um, small training groups and people working together, and, and again, this collective mission. Um, individuals often that relies on you creating a motivated athlete or supporting a motivated athlete on a on a one to one individual level. It's it's a different technique of coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's pros and cons for both. I don't lean one way or the other. I think what you can do in the team environment, and I think back to my experiences, it, it takes one or two people to really disrupt 25 people. You know what I mean it, and, and you know i 've had, had those scenarios where y- you can bring a new player into an environment in a team or an organization and it disrupts the balance and it 's noticeable that can be very very challenging because the peer group pressure and the influence that goes of being part of a team is often hard to navigate because you 're always going to be subservient to that as the coach you know it's, it, the, the connections that players can make together on a team those bonds can often be way stronger than the bonds of a player coach. Um, Mm -hmm. so now you have this pack mentality where actually trying to influence a, a a bad apple in that, in that cart is, is difficult, you know, Mm -hmm. with individual sports, you can often get, you know, you can get them back online way quicker. You know, you can bring people back on track. You can see things when they're starting to go a little bit left field and you can, you know, yet you nudge it back online and on track again. Um, But I think that, you know, the, the, I'm not going to, I would never say the relationships that you make in an individual sport are greater than a team sport because it's not. Again, if you can connect with people, uh, you can work with teams, you can have exceptional relationships, you know, on an individual level and a collective level. Um, So I'm not going to say that, you know, it's easy to make, you know, better relationships in individual sports, but I definitely think it's harder. Excuse me. Things can get off track by individuals influencing a, a collective group. Way more working with a team. If if you're not on top of things as a, as a coach and aware of the surroundings.
0: Mm-hmm. What has been uh, going back to your original conversation about the uh, the artist in you? What has been the greatest contributor of that artistic or theatrical uh, capacity that you brought to your job? That, that's influenced the way you do your job. Uh,
1: character acting. You know, be playing a character, be, you know, the, when you're, when you're a coach, you are, you should hopefully always be responding to the people or the person that's in front of you. And I think, you know, it, it's my job to flex as a coach, to maximize the opportunity for learning of the person in front of me Mm. not for the person in front of me to to change the way they are so that my coaching can fit into their environment you know Mm. it's it's square peg round hole you know what, what what's happening here so i always try to you know i always try to maximize my ability to flex my personality my character my coaching skills to maximize the learning and the training opportunity for the athlete in front of me and i think that's what Acting really helped with, mm-hmm. you know. I can be the the serious guy. It can be the funny guy. I can be the uh, daft guy. Can be the goofy guy. You know, I, 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 you, you're a role player because you've got to go through this stepwise progression to say, oh, that worked. That mm-hmm. something clicked with the athlete when I was goofing around. That they really liked it, and and the next set was was exceptional. Or I was doing something another day, and this person really dialed in their focus, and we got what we wanted from it. So. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the way I try to coach is I'm going through this, you know, this constant checklist of different styles, different personalities, different characters to see what does this, what, what does this person resonate with, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and then I can hold that in my head for the next session or for the, you know, moving forward all right, this person needs to see me coming into the gym and cracking three jokes before we even do anything, and then we're going to have a great session. This person over here, all right, we're going to be strict. We're going to be on it. We're going to be super focused. It's a different a different approach. And I think that's what acting um, has given me kind of skills in, let's say, of, of the character piece by being able to flex and change my character.
0: Hmm. You um, walked into one of the most hallowed um, – universities in the united mm. states and and worked in a in a very i don't know call it um there's a culture of notre dame that you went yeah. to oh, yeah. what, tell me okay. about that experience what was what was challenging about that and what was uh almost surreal about that in some ways
1: yeah no there's there's um there's, there's a few times in my career where I've been, yeah, I'm not a big kind of superstar guy. I don't get, I don't, you know, Brad Pitt could be stood next to me. I'm not bothered, right? There's one time, one time I remember in my whole career where I've been absolutely awestruck by superstardom. And I was doing some coaching work at Manchester United um, with, with the staff there, the backroom team, um, and doing some, um, you know, professional development work. And we went for lunch and Alex Ferguson walked in. Mm. And I went, shit. That's Alex Ferguson, <laughs> and and I almost caught my breath. You know, I was like, wow, that like there's an aura about him, and just mm. I've never had that with any other sports star, never at all. Same thing at Notre Dame. I got the job, and um, you know, I was like, fantastic. This is big time collegiate sports in North America. You know, I've been to wherever, or, you know, Wembley, you name it. All these different, and I walked onto campus, and I went this is Notre Dame. This is Mm -hmm. kind of a special place. And there's, there's a, there's definitely an aura and a feeling to that place. It is special because it's it's steeped in tradition. Um, and and the values that they hold there are, 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 are superb values, the way they want to go about things and do things right. You know, the the faith piece obviously influences them as, as people, um, but they're trying to excel in the classroom as much as they're trying to excel on the sports field. So that trifecta of excelling in faith, excelling in academics and excelling in, uh, in, in ath- athletics w- was really impressive. Um, so it was a little bit awe-inspiring when I first got there. Um, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the new guy and I'm trying to fit into hundred and however many years of tradition. And, um, there's definitely a Notre Dame way. There's mm. definitely a way that they can try and retain, um, things to be done. So, you know, shaping, um, or creating innovation and creating behavioral change without influencing tradition can be difficult. And that, that's the way I looked at it. It's like, how, how are we going to embrace the tradition of what Notre Dame is but move to a different level, move to another level of of performance. Um, so that was that was definitely a hard um, a hard process for me the, the the period of time that I was there to try and do that. You know, to try and bring people on board, to try and look at things differently, but still retain what Notre Dame stands for. It was a fascinating mm-hmm. point in my career.
0: Was there ever a a, tr- a moment where you discovered a tradition? that you ran into that you questioned because of your background and, and knowledge and, and history and then discovered why it existed and then further understood why it existed. If, if you understand what i where I'm coming from.
1: At Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, there was, there was definitely a penny drop moment and I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, it was about four months into my tenure there. Um, and it really, you know, I've, I've always been the guy working with athletes and teams, pursuing Olympic gold medals, pursuing championships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was definitely a moment where it dawned on me that actually these people would ra- not necessarily rather, but these people value graduation just as much as they graduate winning a national. Cha- just as much as they value winning a national championship. Mm. Now that sounds pretty vanilla right it's out but you go to alabama and they're just sole focus is winning national championship you know that that all they want to do is is win this one title and the process and and there's lots of schools like that i think that's why notre dame was a great fit for me when i was there because actually they wanted to graduate great people Mm -hmm. um and to they wanted to do things right they wanted to try and be successful on the sports field but not at the expense of being good people. Mm. That was a real penny drop moment for me um, working in that that institution because, again, I was driving hard when I was getting there to say, we've got to be doing all these recovery sessions. We've got to get in the weight room X amount of times a day. We've got to be doing this regen work. We've got to get the psychologists involved. We've got to be doing all our preventative methods. No, actually, these people just want to go to this charitable event and – work on this uh you know building this house in the community and i was like oh okay well, that's not going to help us and then <laughs> the, 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 you know, that's going to make them more fatigued they're going to miss this training session they're going to you know the, the, their rpe's are going to be through the roof for building this house and it's not going to help us with a national championship and then I, I had to take a step back and say geez like just think about what you what you're seeing here it, 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 that was a definitely a penny drop moment for me and it was fascinating to see that that institution that's an awesome story uh,
0: let's segue that from you're in this uh traditional institution with uh, education, spirituality, all these things commingled, and you go to the u f c so yeah. now you're you're working in a sport that is about being a warrior uh it's a wholly different cultural reality um I don't know, not knowing you that well, what your history going into was. Ha- had you worked with USC athletes before, and if not, what was what struck you when you walked into that that can of yeah. worms, so to speak?
1: Yeah, no, I never, I never worked, you know, I never worked with MMA fighters per se. Um, I was the head of strength and conditioning for GB Taekwondo. Um, I'd worked extensively with GB Boxing um so you know i'd worked around combat sports had a good pedigree with combat sports and again coming back to culture combat sport culture is very specific it's Mm -hmm. nothing like a soccer culture or a basketball culture or a rowing culture um it's very very different so you know that was that was one of the reasons why i was recruited because i had some experience in in that, that those types of sports um when I left Notre Dame, there was a fair bit of outroar in terms of why is this guy leaving, um, you know, one of the America's most storied institutions to go and work for a cage fighting company, you know? Um, I, I'll tell you exactly why. Um, rarely, I would say, not rarely, never... I don't believe in your career. Do you get the trifecta of things that I had with this role? Number one, I had the opportunity to walk into a brand new world, the world's best performance facility and I'm biased, but at the time, you know, the world's best performance facility on day one, spanking brand new, you know, mm. with all the resource, all the integrated technology, all the equipment, all the resource you would want. You know, I've, I've, design new gyms myself I've developed new gyms and new weight rooms and those types of things but to have this type of facility that's rare to then couple that um with the opportunity to be past a blank piece of paper and say you're the guy tell us what we're going to do how, how are we going to operate this thing you know you you shape our philosophy you shape our vision you tell us ultimately how we on a day-to-day basis how we are going to influence UFC fighters that's very rare as well and then the third piece to do it in a sport like mixed martial arts which is only 25 years old professionally now um, it's got so many upsides in terms of our awareness of the sport you know you look at uh, American football has been around since the 1950s there's data and information there you know baseball soccer 1800s they've been around for years Australian rules football yeah there's those people have got those sports figured out there's data and information and research been done on this sport UFC, uh, mixed martial arts, nothing, very, very little. So the, the upsides to learn and shape and evolve and change a sport from day one is mega, you know? So those three things, with that perfect storm just kind of completely resonated with me and said, this is, this is the gig that I want to go and do. So yeah, walking in was quite daunting um, and, you know, we're, we're figuring out slowly, but um, it's been a great trip. It's been a great ride so far.
0: That's the perfect segue for your astrological uh, thing that I do in this little, uh, my, my podcast. So okay, you are a Pisces one. Yeah. And your purpose is to achieve the confidence and discipline necessary to be fully independent and turn your excess charm into eternal rewards. The undertaking of a new action brings new strength. Avinius, Roman writer Pisces ones have the ability to be physically, mentally, and spiritually strong. But if they hide from life, They may suffer from physical ailments, confusion, and chaos. They need a purpose and lots of discipline. Competitive Pisces Ones can drive themselves relentlessly to be the best, along the way acquiring luxuries that suit their exquisite taste. If Neptune is strong, Pisces Ones may suffer from a series of annoying illnesses, feel as if they are victims of circumstance, and shun possessions and beautiful things because they prefer the spiritual path." Masters at creating the world according to their vision, the Pisces one needs self-confidence. They must learn to be spontaneous and adaptable. They must learn not to let fear make them rigid or control or control keep their world small and isolated. Many exhibit both extremes an overconfidence that hides a deep-rooted insecurity. Pisces ones have big, generous hearts. They demand respect and seek soulmates. Pisces ones can have trouble with relationships because they hate restraint and tend to see a uh, partner idealistically. They must learn to get to let go of fear and risk. Pisces ones are meant to experience life with zest and passion, not pessimism and doubt.
1: Wow. Have you been following <laughs> me around for the last 30, 40 years? <laughs> Only I mean, I'm a little bit freaked out right now, Scott. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. You need to send me that. That's I will amazing. send
0: you that. My pleasure it will be my pleasure to do so.
1: That's uh that's almost scarily true yeah wow, yeah. wow. Yeah. very cool
0: yeah it's yeah. it's nine out of ten times the person across from me is kind of like in shock when i read that well,
1: okay. i don't know if i
0: told you the story when we were at west but i had a favorite saying type to a tape tape to a desktop of mine that was some men see things as there and say why i dream things that never were and say why not and i had it for about 10 years picked up this book flipped to my ch- chapter started reading my purpose was like whoa that's really cool first line was some men see things as they are as say why i dream so i was like Wow. I'm buying the book. Thanks for sharing, man. That's great. You're welcome. I'll send it to you for sure. Yeah, please. I want to s- sort of get wrap this up slowly, but my, my th- one thing I'm really interested in is this culture piece around how I'd, – I'd like for you to give maybe some advice to a young professional. How do you go into a new cultural environment and understand the culture of the, of the environment and the athlete themselves? How they look at things versus how you look at things.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that's a that's a great question, and I'll probably do a I'll probably absolutely you know, do a terrible job of answering it, but I think um, you know two two things for me is when you when you're a, I think when you're a young brew, it's really hard to figure out how much is too much and how little is not enough. No. And that's the same going into a, a new environment. So how much do you try and be involved with it and try and truly get around it and in the weeds and asking questions and challenging people and saying, Hey, why are you doing X, Y, and Z? And you know, what, what did you do this time last year and why did this preseason work or what, what are you doing for the competition too much? Like this guy just won't leave me alone. Keeps asking me too many questions versus how, how little is like, if you just stand on as a wallflower and just observe, you're not going to get the, 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 the sensitivity, the awareness, the nuance of what people are doing. Um, I, I think and I, experientially, as I recall, that's, that's hard for, for young people to, to figure out. Um, but you, you've got to try. Because you've got to hit both of those sides of the scale you know the the only way to to find a culture and find a, a you know a, a, a mantra within a sport is to go and embed yourself in it and to see how people talk and listen to the nomenclature that they use and listen to the language and look at the habits and you know just understand I would call it banter, right? I'm English, right? But understand the banter, the types of conversations that occur in. If you're not around that, you're not, you're not going to pick that up. At the same time, you still got, it. You, you can't disrupt that. You can't put yourself slap bang in the middle of it because you're not, you're not supposed to be in the middle of it. The, the mm. athletes and the teams or the sport is an organic living thing. And if you try and plant yourself way too much in the middle of it, you're going to offset the, the balance of what it is. Um, so I think understanding when to step back and just observe and take perspective and, and and look at how things are happening is a real a real art and a real skill. It's just as big a skill to be able to say, All right, I've asked my three questions, now I need to remove myself. You know, because mm-hmm. if you ask ten questions, now you're pissing people off. Now you're never gonna get the information that you want to feel, you know, where the sport is going. That that's what I believe anyway. That's kind of my interpretation of of what i try to do when i'm dropped into a new situation like the ufc you know i'm 23 24 years as a strength coach at an elite level i'm still coming in i've still got to figure out what is this thing what's this machine what's this environment so some of that i need to do very proactively other parts of it i need to be a bit more restrained and just sit back and observe but it's a skill to understand that balance i feel
0: beautiful Last question. You will pass from this earth one day, hopefully not for a long time. How would you like to be remembered?
1: Yeah, hopefully not too soon. I mean, um, you know, it's, uh, legacy right it's like what is your legacy what do people you know hopefully people see me as a good guy you know i want to be uh, remembered for someone that could you know make people laugh and 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 have a good time and someone that people want to go for a beer with and hang out with you know that that's that's really key to me is like am i am i someone that people want to be around um but at the same time someone that really helped drive and shape success um by being you know, somewhat multi-talented and, and, and somewhat um, diverse in my skills um, so that I had touch points at, at many different levels. I think that's, you know, that's all I can try and do. That's all I'm trying to do now is, like, wh- where are my touch points? Where are my points of influence? And are they, are they wide? Are, is there a breadth to them? Um, or am I only focusing on a small population or a small group? Mm -hmm. Um, I think if 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 those two things, you know, being 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 a good guy and someone who who people resonated to and enjoyed being around, and and I made their life somewhat um, somewhat easier and more enjoyable for them, is is key to me. Um, But also, I've worked hard, right? I've, I've I've tried to commit myself to a pathway, a career. Um, which hopefully is, is, has come to fruition and continues to come to fruition um, that has, that has some breadth and, and, and kind of horizontal uh, piece to it
0: awesome. Well, sir, this has been a, a, an amazing hour spent with you. Thank you thank for taking you. the time and uh, hopefully our paths cross more often and, and we do have that beer together uh, again.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, thank you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool what you're doing. I appreciate it because, you know, most people are getting into the X's and O's and sets, reps and rest and all this type of stuff. And, um, you know, it's a real, um, a real refreshing perspective on what you're doing with the podcast. So um, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Duncan. You, all have, right, a, you have a great day, man. Yeah, take care. Thanks, Scott.
0: Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King and become a member of this community at Scott G Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day.
1: Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.